Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates creative culture and creativity worldwide. I'm your host, Sourdough, and today I am honored to be joined by Karen Fiorito, who is a fantastic human being and artist who also happens to be a winner of our grant, our 2019 not Real Art Grant, which was awarded at the conference March 16th. Karen, what was that like for you that day when your name was called? I was very honored to be up there with all the other recipients, of course. And I made a special trip from San Diego just to for the day to go. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy because I took my mom and she happened to be in town. So Three hours of traffic each way. We yeah. got stuck in a lot of accidents. So it was a crazy San day. San Diego isn't far, but boy, it can take a long time to get to it and fro. Could, it took three and a half hours each way. We were kind of exhausted when we got back. All the flowers were in bloom. So everybody, there were like a thousand people out watching the flowers and we didn't <laughs> on the way up. And then we hit like three accidents on the way back. Oh, my goodness. So it was fun. But other than that, like we had a good time at the conference. Mm -hmm. What little time we could spend there <laughs> before we had to hit the road again. <laughs> now, when did you move to San Diego? Because you used to live here in L.A. Yeah. So I lived in L.A. I moved to L.A. in 2004. From and, where? From Pennsylvania? No. Well, not directly. I Moved from Philadelphia to, uh, I did my graduate work at Arizona State University mm -hmm. in Tempe. Mm -hmm. So I was three years in Arizona and then I, I met Robbie Connell, mm -hmm. an artist in LA and mm -hmm. he said I should move to LA and he would help me get started a screen printing business. Amazing. So I would kind of lucked out and I met some people here yeah. and factory place and I moved in in 2004 and I... When I got married in 2012, I think in 2013, my husband was in Australia for mm -hmm. a year or, or three years. How so did you and your husband meet? We met online, like a lot of nice. people do. Right Excellent. <laughs> we met in LA, but then he moved to Australia and then we got married and then he was, we were apart for almost a year and then I, I moved out and we lived in Santa Monica for a while. We wanted to buy a house, but LA is so expensive and yeah. We couldn't really afford what we wanted, and he didn't. He was kind of tired of the traffic and yes. everything. So 
he lived in San Diego for a few years and he mm-hmm. wanted to move back there. So I have never lived there before. <laughs> I'm just still learning. Yeah. About yeah. It. It, it's such an interesting place, right? Because you have, well, a, you know, geographically and sort of environmentally, it's a beautiful sort of landscape, but, but do you have the kind of juxtaposition of obviously, you know, the border town thing, you've got the military thing, you've got the surf thing, you've got the VC thing, the biotech thing. Like, it's yeah, just a very it's a very interesting mixture. Yeah. yeah. Of different, but it is very beautiful and yes. where we live. It's up in the mountains. We have a huge piece of land that we, could probably never the worst thing here. about the worst thing about living in the San Diego area is if you miss your exit, you have to literally go like ten miles yeah. out of your way yeah. to backtrack. You know, yeah. But at least you're not stuck in traffic the whole time. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know, I know. LA is a nightmare. Yeah. So, Every time I come back, I'm like, I don't miss this. Part. No, no, <laughs> but- no. So I'm sorry, we digress. So you moved to San Diego. What year? 2018. We. Yeah, we moved. So just a year or so right, ago. Right, right, But I do miss LA. I miss my, of course, I have a lot of friends here and connections here and still, but yeah, and I miss the accessibility to everything and the art world, yeah. especially. But, you know, it's nice to kind of get out in the country too and just kind of have a peaceful existence yes. also. <laughs> yes. Which I haven't had in years. I've been to major city to major city yes. for so long that it's kind of nice being out in nature. Like we have yep. mountain lions and you know Till you get dragged off by one. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> or you're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So well that's fascinating. So how live I mean obviously I, I can imagine how living in the heart of a concrete jungle might inform your art in your practice, how has living in quote unquote nature changed your art and practice? I think it's made me appreciate being in nature more and just our environment and how it affects us. And I think every time I come back here, it's like things just keep, you know, they keep building more and more skyscrapers. They keep building on top of everything. Meanwhile, there's like all these homeless people and, you know, it's kind of nice to get away from all that. Yeah. Not that I don't want to look at that problem as an issue because I think it's a real issue everywhere. Yep. And it's in San Diego too. Yep. But it's all over California actually. But it does make me think about the environment more and, you know, how our birds are disappearing in North America. Like we lost billions of birds and... And just how the environment has changed and over the years and the climate and, you know, we're in direct contact with nature all the time. Yep. You kind of learn that, oh, you know, we're a part of this system. We're not like separate from it. And I feel that connection more now than I used to living in the concrete jungle where it's more about there's just all this craziness going on right. and you know it's kind of like people everywhere you go and well i mean your art as i know it and i've you know gotten to know obviously this little bit this year having collaborated on the grant together in the conference and things but you know it, it's it's political art right i mean yeah. generally the the folk and so i'm wondering if you know political art is there an energy that your art has that's different now living in the country versus the city, so to speak. I 
don't think so. I think just the way I, you know, think about producing art mm-hmm. may have changed just because my environment has changed yes. and I have to kind of adjust to that environment. But I think a lot more about the materials I use, for mm-hmm. instance, and mm-hmm. like, are they vegan? And, yes. you know, why am I making this piece? I think more about why I do things because I don't want to just produce, produce, produce because I don't believe that's like necessarily the the right thing to do because I'd rather make like one good piece than 10 bad pieces, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so more Strive for excellence, <laughs> not mediocrity, you know. But besides like being doing political art, you know, I do a lot of billboards and I have a billboard campaign called Got Drought, which I started in 2015 and that keeps going and going and that's about, you know, the environment and animal agriculture and gotten more involved in the, the vegan movement and vegan art and so I do a lot of different things. I feel more like I try to tie my activism with my art as much as possible. So I'm always like giving away my art or, you know, doing things for charity and mm-hmm. especially for animals or the environment mm-hmm. or the rainforest or whatever it is. So I think more about those things now. Whereas I think in in the city, I, I'm more focused on just straight politics. Yes. You know, which I do go back to time and time. Right. But it's a lot more that kind of, I have like, that kind of work is more cynical to me. Yes. Yes. Well, that's kind of what I was asking because I mean, your, your activist spirit, your activist mind, your activist values are the same, right? Like that hasn't changed, but the issues maybe that you are thinking about are impacted by your environment. And so it's interesting that, because if, if I'm understanding what you're saying, the move to the countryside, if you will, has caused your activist eye to look at may, maybe more environmental related issues versus maybe when you lived in LA, which might've been more straightforward politics. Right. I think it was more like looking at the bigger picture, sure. like looking at the global yes. picture as opposed to on the local level or, yeah. or national level, right. but looking at things more broadly. Right. I think that's what I'm aiming to do at least. Right. I'm sure our listeners are probably <laughs> laughing right now because here we are talking about the beautiful, quiet countryside. And while there's all kinds of noise around us, we should yeah. tell our <laughs> listeners that we are sitting. The irony is that we're sitting poolside here at Hotel Figueroa where you are staying. And it's beautiful here by the poolside, a beautiful Hotel Figueroa. And yet there's chaos going around. <laughs> Yeah. around us. Yeah. Well, we're right next to LA Live. Yeah. LA Live. We're apparently right next to the garbage dump. I mean, it's it's a lot (laughs) happening here. So our listeners will just have to bear with us here. It's at least it's a beautiful and not too hot day here. But so tell me about because I mean, your career has been great. I mean, you know, I know you, you reached, you got some national attention, if not international attention with your billboard, the Trump apocalypse billboard for my words, not yours. I don't know really what the title was. It's Trump-pocalypse. Trump-pocalypse. Okay. (laughs) Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you must have been a hero to some and a villain to others. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I was asked to do that billboard in January 2017. It took me about three months to design it. She wanted it for March for this like festival on Grand Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it, it's in Phoenix, 11th and Grand. It's a huge billboard. I had had it before when I was, I know the owner of, I met her when I was in grad school and she had let me use her billboard for an anti-George Bush message. Mm-hmm. And so she called me and she was like, would you want to do a Trump one? And I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> where, where do I sign? Right, right. Let's do this today. I was excited. I was going to do it for free. Yeah. So yeah, I designed it and there's two sides to it. The other side is unity and in sign language. But the front side is, you know, Trump in the middle with two swastikas. Well, they're not swastikas. They're dollar signs that resemble Yeah, that resemble propaganda and Nazi propaganda at that. Yeah. And then I added some mushroom clouds. And he has a Russian lapel pin on. Yes. So immediately, I didn't expect... Like, I had done billboards before that were controversial, and I gotten death threats for the George Bush one. And I did a Fox News one that was making fun of Fox News Mm -hmm. in 2005. So I had gotten a little bit of backlash, but this was like overwhelming. Like our phone just started ringing and I guess all our information got doxxed online and all our personal info. So it was kind of a nightmare. I wish I would have made sure all my info was... (laughs) wiped from the internet but i don't even know if that's possible yeah, anymore <laughs> if they want it slows to. them down but they, they'll find you yeah so lots of hate mail letters phone calls people threatening to come by for a studio visit yeah to our house or yeah. you're gonna bring the boys yeah. around that kind of thing yeah. and so we unplugged the phone we actually we lived in santa monica at the time and we told the police and they were like, whatever, like, right. <laughs> we don't care. Yeah, right. They obviously did not. Yeah. So. They're pro-Trump. Me, you, police yeah. force is largely pro-Trump anyway. Yeah. So we, for a while, my husband was really paranoid and mm-hmm. he didn't let, want me to like leave the house or go sure. anywhere, sure. Or, you know. So that was probably one of the reasons he wanted to move out of LA too. He, yeah. he didn't like all, I didn't, you know, like all the attention either. I'm not like one to seek out attention. I find that so surprising. You seem really like a <laughs> thrill seeker, a kind of a fame seeker kind of person. Yeah, no. I'm just joking. <laughs> you seem way too evolved and enlightened for that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's nice. I, I have made a lot of like, I've gotten a lot of support mm. too from people yes. all over and it opened up a couple opportunities. Like I did a mural in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. With a couple activist groups up there. Yes. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Flagstaff did not go for Trump. No. Arizona did, no, but Flagstaff no, did not. No, no. Yeah. They're very, yeah. yeah. I worked with um, Flagstaff Pride and yeah. Together We Will, which is a big resist I wonder campaign. if Sedona went for Trump. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think they're pretty wealthy there. That's so. why I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> that they might have gone, you know, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what what were some of the you know good opportunities that came out of it? Well, I went to well I went to Flagstaff a bunch. They had me yeah. come out and speak on Northern Arizona University, mm-hmm. and I did a huge mural on the side of the Orpheum Theater 
of my Unity billboard, but with a rainbow background. Mm -hmm. And that was for their Pride Week, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So that was like a year ago. I got into the design of Descent, which is like... The design of the what? Design of Descent, which it's a famous book, like that I've always wanted to be in. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> the billboard got in there. So it's been, you right. know, it get, it's been going around and sure. sometimes it still gets in the news somehow, like some rappers did a video with it and, <laughs> or like, you know, I sent some flags of it to London to a friend and she was carrying them around the, you know, the marches sure, there to, sure. against Trump and that got in the paper. And every time it does, we get a little bit of backlash, but... It's usually not me. I worry more about Beatrice, who she's the owner. Mm-hmm. She rents that, like she owns that land. And there's some guys who do screen printing in the in the bottom. And they've been harassed. Like people have come in with guns and threatened them and right. thinking they, own, you know, yeah, owned right. it or right. something. Right. I'm more worried about other people than myself. I know, like, but... Nowadays, like since that happened, it was a real shock to me. But I've seen it happen over and over and over again with other artists and journalists, where it's become like almost the norm where if you don't agree with someone or what they're saying, you automatically threaten them or you threaten their life or yeah. you threaten their children or you threaten their wife. Or yeah. So many people have had to go into hiding and it's becoming really scary because you think of that being like, happening in maybe China or like the Middle East or other countries, but now it's happening here to people too. So I think that's why I like living in the country too. It's like, (laughs) you don't don't have to, I'm not as paranoid. Like even though I have seen a mountain lion and that did scare the crap out of me, but (laughs) yeah, it's quite something when you come face to face with a truly wild animal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And cats are no joke. <laughs> no. And it was like almost on my front lawn, like basically. It's right. like walking down the road in front of my house and at night and I just saw this giant cat and it's impressive yeah. though. Yeah. It really kind of makes you appreciate mother nature. But yeah. Yeah. Years ago well, over the years, I've just done a lot of camping and have had those moments where you bump oh, into yeah. a bear or whatever the case, and you're just like, okay. Yeah, I was this never is, a this camper. Is, this, so. is, this is uh, exciting. I, I hope this. Hope I live. <laughs> I hope this goes my way. You know? Yeah. So, as an artist now in the country, you know, how do you manage your time? How do you organize your workflow? Like, how do you create? What is? Are you pretty rigorous about? your time management and how you schedule your your work and how you approach your work? What is your practice like from a nuts and bolts perspective? Well, I always have a lot of different things I'm working on Mm -hmm. in different stages, but I'm kind of, I get bored with one thing too easily. (laughs) So I'm always jumping around and I'm not very bad with time management. I get things done pretty quickly and efficiently. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to deadlines and things like that, I have to set deadlines for myself constantly because if I don't, you know, try for things, if I don't apply for things like applying for this grant, I don't set those things in motion, then I, you know, I'm not very good at 
I'll just do whatever I want and <laughs> I'll just go back and forth from different things. So I'm always trying to give myself goals. Like right now, I'm hoping to get more organized because I'm going to be teaching in the winter. Oh, fantastic. Where are you teaching? Irvine Fine Arts Center. Awesome. So what will you be teaching? I'm going to be teaching a class in gum bichromate printing. Say that again? Gum bichromate. Oh, cool. Right on. So it's a alternative photography mm -hmm. type class. And it's a process I haven't done in a really long time, like 10 years. Better study up. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and I used to do it all the time. I was really good at it. Yeah. But I'm going to try it a little bit different this time and more, make it more eco-friendly because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. part of the process uses formaldehyde and mm -hmm. I'm going to try to do an alternative version. So I have two pieces I've been working on for like two years and I never knew how I was going to print them. So that's, they're finally coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. So sometimes things will sit on the back burner for like sure. a few years and then I'm like, oh wow, that's like relevant now. You know, <laughs> or like when I do it, I think right. this is so far out right. there. And then later on, I'm like, oh, no, that's actually really. The time has come. Yeah. So how do you bank your ideas? I mean, are you journaling? Are you sketching? So when you get an initial idea, you sort of store it away in a, in a sketchbook? Yeah, I journal and I sketch and I do a lot of things digitally. I like digitally collaging and, okay. and just kind of messing with images and I consider that sketching sometimes or and then taking it to a further finished product with more like refining it. I go in by hand with like a Wacom tablet and really like clean it up, paint on it. But I don't always do things digitally. Sometimes I like to hand draw things yes. and I work with mono printing. I've been working with mono printing lately and solar plates and just different processes. So I kind of like let the process dictate what I'm going to do. And I'll have like sketches and sketches of ideas. And then when I get a process I want to do, like a solar plate, I'll be like, oh, that image would be perfect for yeah. that process. So I don't know. It's kind of chaotic. I'm kind of chaotic, I guess, in a way. I you seem very calm. Like I don't see you being <laughs> a chaotic person. You seem very steady, very calm. Well, I think I'm very laid back, but I think my brain works very chaotically and I jump from, you know, I'm always doing five things at the same time. Got I'm it. one of those people that, you know, my professors would always yell at me like, <laughs> you're doing too many <laughs> things at the same time, Karen, yeah. you need to calm down. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. I remember one of my professors was like watching me run around the studio, printmaking studio. And he's like, you're one of those people. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking <laughs> he knew about? You're <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I like I like the physical work of printmaking too. Like sometimes I just want to do big screen prints mm -hmm. and I have a big press and I have an etching press. So I have a little studio, but I like exploring different mediums all the time. Do you consider too. yourself sort of a mixed media artist? Like how do you, or do you just call yourself an artist and you don't even yeah. get into labels? Like what do you think of yourself as? I think I think of myself as an artist, a visual artist, but I also think of myself as a printmaker sometimes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm a graphic designer yeah. and sometimes I'm, right. I'm a Swiss project manager <laughs> of projects because yeah. I'm writing grants for right. things. Right. And, you know, how many grants? I know we're jumping all around. I mean, there's so much yeah. to talk about, but how many grants do you apply for on average each year? 
usually about three or four yeah. a year. Yeah. What's your hit rate like? Are you do you do you usually count on getting one or two of those each At year? At least a couple. Yeah. yeah, a year. But I should be really writing more than I do. It's just it's a lot of work and right. It's a lot of effort, and I have so many different projects that I write for mm-hmm. that. And then I volunteer like for Los Angeles Printmaking Society and, and yeah. different groups. So I'm always helping out other people too <laughs> with sure. their work sometimes. Yeah, but I did get a, I got a pop. It's time consuming being a decent human being, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> being a good a, human being. I did get a puffing grant this year, and I got a not real art grant this yes, year. You did. Yes. And then I've gotten pollination projects, giving grants. Lush Cosmetics gave me. A huge grant for my billboard, $15,000 one year. You said, what, what was the Lush grant? Cosmetics. Lush Cosmetics. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah, that was a huge effort in writing. It was like writing a book. Sometimes they ask for so much information. It's so much writing and it's yeah. a lot of work just writing grants, I think. What, what is the... I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience writing grants. I mean, for our listeners who maybe don't have that experience or maybe are embarking upon that aspect, you know, what are some tips that you can give people for when it comes to writing a grant? Is there a secret sauce to writing a good grant? Just sticking to basic information, I think, and also trying to grab their attention in the beginning of the grant somehow with Mm -hmm. some great idea and some fact or some quote or something. It's a lot of work writing grants, but I think I've just learned by practice yeah. because no one ever taught me. Right. I have a friend. They don't teach that no, in art school, do they? No, they don't. They should teach that. They, that should I'm be really, one of the things they should Yeah, they, they should be. Te- <laughs> it is, I think, at best unethical and, and at worst immoral, if not borderline criminal, for art schools to graduate art students that don't understand these basic fundamentals. Yeah. I think a lot of it, it's like I wrote a lot of grants and didn't get them and was able to get feedback on what I did wrong and what I could improve upon. Right. So I think after time, it just was like a lot of, you know. Yeah. But you want to make, you want to sound enthusiastic, like this is the greatest idea in the world. And yeah, basically. <laughs> Even if it's just the second best, you got to, you got to, you got to own it. You got to believe in yourself, I guess, is what. Sell, yeah. sell, sell. So do most of your grants that you have one come with strings attached? Some of them do. Some of them, you know, you have to do a report at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You have to do it in a specific time frame. Yeah. And then you have to give like you receipts. Some of them want like actual receipts from, you know, how you spent the money. And yeah. So some of them and some of them, like I was so surprised with Lush. I thought they gave me $15,000. I thought they were going to want an account of every penny. Right. And they never asked for anything. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, right. wow. But I kept everything. I mean, I did spend every penny. And I do spend every penny of my grant money on the work itself. Right. Like, I well, never... That, well, see, I bring this up because this, this came up the other day, you know, when we were talking with our other winners. Because I'm really curious. I know why we started our grant. Our grant was started to empower the careers of artists, to give them a little energy, to try to you know, add some value to, to their practice. And while it's a modest amount of money, thousand dollars, it's not nothing. But at the end of the day, I didn't care how you use the money. Like I, you know, whether it was 
to buy materials or to pay rent or go to the dispensary, I, you know, whatever you need <laughs> to, to do your work. Like, you know, so for me, it was really important to have the grant, no strings attached. Yeah. You know? Well, that's really, that's nice. I always, I don't know. My husband gets mad at me because I don't spend any of the money on myself. <laughs> I always you spend it. Go get a massage, Karen. Come on. Well, he always says you don't get paid for what you do. Like half of what you do, you don't get paid for yeah. because every time I get grant money, I spend it all on billboards or right. spend it on just like a true artist. <laughs> like this grant, I spent most of the money on the three pieces in the show. It was like. Pretty much most of it, and then the rest of it here. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> at the well, hotel. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, it's a good hotel too. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know, it, it's just fascinating how that world works. Yeah, world. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'm an expert at it, but I think I've got I've gotten pretty good at writing grants. So, what percentage but, of your revenue? Because I know you know in the interview that you did with us, what have you talked about? How you know you're loath to you know make money off political art you know, off the suffering of others, that kind of thing. And yet, you know, you do have a life to live and bills to pay. Like when it comes to your revenue as an artist, you know, what percentage of it is through grants and through straight up art sales? And, you know, how do you make and earn money as an artist? Some through sales and grant money. And well, I used to have my own business. So oh, really? Yeah. Printmaking, I, yeah? Yeah, I still do. Although I don't, I haven't done a contract job in a while, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I do my own work. So I kind of, I was a print publisher. So mm -hmm. my business is Buddha Cat Press. Mm -hmm. And I worked with Robbie Connell and mm -hmm. L Mac and Retina. And I worked with a lot of artists yeah. here. And I was actually working for the Getty Museum in 2011 when I threw out my back. Ouch. screen printing because oh, it was boy. a really large print yeah. and we were doing it by hand and it was kind of a nightmare and I found out I had this defect in my spine oh, wow. okay. that I was kind of born with yeah. which makes my spine kind of slip and slide it's like a fracture in the tailbone anyway so I ended up with a ruptured disc and I couldn't really do a lot of contract work anymore so my husband at the time, like we were getting married at the time, he said, he told me to just concentrate on my own work and my like activism and yeah. all my projects. And we've been kind of living off of his income more than mine. I make a little bit here and there, sure, but I don't make a ton of money, which is why I'm going to probably start teaching again just yeah. to kind of supplement, which well, I feels think most like artists do is either teach or they have a business you know. Right. Well, and it, it feels like now these days, right, artists have opportunity to diversify in ways that they didn't have 20 years ago, even, you know, yeah. through yeah. technology or whatever the case might be, which is a wonderful, powerful thing, right? That being said, it's it's got to, you know, it's got to make sense. And, you know, part of the reason why I ask is because, you know, for those listeners out there who, you know, either they're young and starting out and they're trying to figure out, you know, how seasoned vets such as yourself uh, have figured it out and there's no one way like that's the other thing too i mean it's no because you have to find organizations and and galleries or whatever it is you're looking for yeah. that align with what you're doing right 
because not every gallery is going to show political art or no. be interested in it at all. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's why a lot of the grants I get are from organizations that support, like the Puffin Foundation, its whole goal is to support people who wouldn't normally get a voice. Yes. Because of their artwork, socially political, or mm -hmm. just because of their race or their gender. Yeah. So those organizations are the ones I tend to target yes. on. Yes. And then this is the second Puffin grant I've gotten for a billboard. So, you know, you know, those organizations who are doing the good work, like ArtShare, mm -hmm. you yep. know, I've been involved in ArtShare yep. for a while. That's how I found out about the Not Real Art grant. Yep. And then I thought, well, Not Real Art, that's like perfect for me because that's, I've been told my whole life that my art isn't real art so I, I, you know, i'm so happy to hear that makes me so happy you know the name not real art it's just been fascinating to watch and observe how people react to it because you know nine out of ten times or nine out of ten artists get the joke immediately they understand the, right. the commentary, they understand the satire, they understand the truth behind it. And yet when I've talked to certain gallerists, collectors, dare I say, art snobs, you know, they sort of scratch their head. They go, I just, I don't understand. Yeah, what do you mean? They give you a art? look like, what? <laughs> like, what, a, what does that even what mean? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the day that I came up because I've known for a long time that we wanted to have a grant and then we wanted to have a conference and we wanted to do a podcast and but I didn't really know what the kind of the the narrative through line was going to be or or what the brand maybe kind of concept behind it was and we we'll kind of anchor it and hold it together and one day the words not real art came up in part because I think people say to me oh so are you an artist and I'll say quickly say no not a real artist like I'm not a real artist like like in my heart, like I'm an artist, but like, I'm, and, and then that led to, to this idea of like not real art. And then, and, and how many of the artists that I've admired and been inspired by over the years and throughout history were told by the intelligentsia and the gatekeepers of the day, that's not real art. You oh know? yeah. And so totally. just that phrase came to mind. And then when I went to GoDaddy and the domain was available for 11 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes. Yes. Meant to be. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we love the name. We love the name. Yeah. No, I used to hear that. And I even heard that in grad school. When I did political. I was starting to do more and more political stuff and yes. street art. And, you know, I had a professor who was like, political art is not real art. And I was like, Ridiculous. what? Right. Who? And then he was like, digital art is not real art. And all these things are not real art. And I'm like, that's just so obnoxious. It's who are you to say? Who? Who's anybody to say? I mean, I, I, I've said, I was saying this the other day. I feel like if there's anybody qualified as to judge what is or isn't art, it's the artist right. that, that made it. You know, that's it. Beyond that, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I saw also that Crew West was attached to it. I know Man One, I, I've been used to... Crew West Gallery? Lived near his gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 used to go hang out there sometimes yeah, for yeah, openings. Yeah. And I think I actually was did a live something at one of Drawing sure, or something did. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we might have been in the same room together at that point because man and I have been friends and business partners for, you know, 15 years plus. And that was a special time, that gallery. Yeah. You know? Back in the day when, like, the Arts District was 
Kind of like a small community. And affordable for artists. Yeah, and affordable for artists. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Now, was you, I'm jumping around a little bit, but when you were living down there, was that at the same time you were working for Mr. Ferry? Yeah, I did some work for Shepard. He need, well, his studio, where he had a screen printing studio behind Mm -hmm. my studio, Mm -hmm. about a half a block up. And his printer, he lost his printer like the guy doing his printing. Yeah. So he hired me for some nice. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I've never met him, but he seems like the nicest guy in the world. Was was he fun, good to yeah, work with? Yeah, he was really yeah. chill, laid yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, and you, you worked with Al Mack and Retina. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, Ma- Mirror One. Mirror One, yeah. I did like, I think, I don't know how many prints with Mirror One, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of prints with Robbie Connell too. It was how great was that? I mean, how cool? Yeah, he was kind of my mentor yeah. when I first came here. Shout out Robbie. Yeah, he's hope he's listening because you know that'll mean hopefully it'll be meaningful to him. Yeah, he's up north now. Yep, but I think he's he's still here. Oh, he just had a big show in track sixteen. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I met a lot of artists. I worked with LACMA Museum and the mm-hmm. Getty Museum too on some projects with Chaz. Do you yep. know Chaz? Yeah. So when you think about the show that we're having tomorrow, because for our listeners who may not know, tomorrow, October 19th, we're having the Not Real Art exhibition featuring the 12 grant recipients and up to three of their pieces in the show. You and I were talking a little bit before recording that you're a little bit <laughs> you're a little bit apprehensive because you sent them out for printing and you still haven't seen the final output and and it's already hanging on the wall so you're going to be surprised but tell us about the pieces that we'll see tomorrow. Sure, sure. So I've been working on a series that I've been just doing digital images right now of that I'd like to turn into screen prints and posters and things but so the idea was I've been really depressed lately about the environment and stuff like that. And I needed some inspiration. I needed something that would drive me a little, give me some hope. Yes. It's hard (laughs) to find hope. Yeah. Yeah. So I've started doing this series of women who are changing the world. Mm -hmm. So I started with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. AOC. Shout out. And then I... I did the whole squad. Mm-hmm. So two of the squad members are in the show. The other one is Ilan Omar. Mm-hmm. And then I also, at the same time, I, I, well, I've, I've done other ones too. I did Angela Davis. And and then I did one of Ma- Megan Rapino. Mm-hmm. And that's the third one in the show. So, which I find interesting. <laughs> but they kind of go together. But the one, so the AOC one is called The Future is Female. Mm-hmm. The Omar one is called Diversity is Strength. And the Megan Rapinoe one is The Future is Feminist. So they're just kind of doing this in this kind of almost political propaganda style of, you know, Russian and propaganda, but also like American propaganda, if you want to call it, like mm-hmm. the Shepherd kind of style, Obey style, but I'm trying to make it my own kind of, you know, put my own take on language it. on yeah, build, building your own some visual yeah, language, trying yeah. to build the image in my how I, I've been trying to do them in a painterly way, yeah. more than a graphic way, but just combining graphics and painting and different 
styles. So they each have different themes and different styles. Like the Angela Davis one that's not in the show, but it's more of like a 60s kind of poster art style, Mm -hmm. like psychedelic sort of. But they all have a theme on, you know, like I did a Greta one. And Mm -hmm. so just there's so many... I noticed so many women fighting for the climate yes. fight and climate justice and not that men aren't also, there are plenty of men also, but you see a lot of young women and, and, you know, leading these movements and it, it's, and a lot of young women getting into Congress now yes. Yes. and running for office yes. Yes. And, and getting involved in politics yes. in general. And I yes. think that's a beautiful thing. hundred percent. I think we need more of the female influence Absolutely. in the world. So. Absolutely. So I wanted to do a series honoring all these women and what they're trying to do. Yes. Because I, it's giving me hope, and I know it's probably giving millions of other people hope too. So I know you grew up in Pennsylvania. I'm a Midwest person myself, having grown up outside Chicago. And... You know, based on, you know, I think the interview you gave us, what have you, you talked about your experience in high school and sort of being a bit of a outcast or, you know, what have (laughs) you. Talk about your kind of your your political awakening. I mean, your journey to becoming an activist. Like, what was there a triggering event? Was it several things? Were you just, were you come, do you come from an activist family? I don't come from an activist family. And my dad's very Republican, actually. Oh, he must love your art then. He's actually very proud of me. Yeah, I'm sure he is. He's very proud of my daughter. He'll always say that. He's like, I might not agree with you, but I'm very (laughs) proud of you. (laughs) Agree to disagree. That's right. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, we've learned our one thing in common is we both love animals and the environment. So we can agree on that. In the Venn diagram of your relationship, you found the overlap. We found one (laughs) thing we can agree on. (laughs) Good deal. But yeah, my mom was you know, too busy. Like my parents got divorced when I was young. So my mom was too busy working all the time. But she was very, she very much awakened me to that fact that women get paid less than men, that she had to work three times as hard as the men that were her peers who were doing the same work. And she got paid a third of what they were getting or two thirds what they were getting paid. So she taught me a lot about being a feminist and, Mm -hmm. and she was really into like the feminist movement. But I'd always like been in love with nature and animals, especially and had a lot of animals growing up. And I I think when I was five, my brothers explained where hot dogs came from. Where what? Hot dogs. Hot dogs. So they they didn't really tell the truth. They said, you know, there's this little cute pig. Imagine this cute pig. Here's a farmer. Chop, chop, chop with the axe. And I started crying. And I was like five years old. Yeah. After that, I wouldn't eat meat anymore. I became wow, vegetarian. I was really traumatized. I was to you. traumatized. Yeah, like wow. so traumatized. I've always been very super like emotional, I guess. Empathetic. Empathetic yeah. towards especially animals yeah. and even insects. Like I can't stand when like I don't the, mind I don't mind killing a mosquito. I will kill a mosquito. Uh, <laughs> oh mosquitoes, any, yeah. Anytime. Well they're <laughs> they have viruses and stuff. Yeah, that's right. So you're yeah, justified in that. But you know, when boys would pull the legs off a of daddy long leg or yeah. I would cry oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, right. you know I would right. be so upset like just right. little things like that and then I started becoming I don't know how I got on like Greenpeace and PETA's list but I started becoming involved in yeah. giving money like raising money for the seals the seals are being slaughtered you know yes. for fur and like 
I would, I was like a little Lisa Simpson. I would go around the, I mean, by the time I was eight, I had a little clipboard. I was going around house to house getting people to sign. Like I tried to fight the nuclear power plant that got put up in Limerick, Pennsylvania. Yeah. It was right next to my school. Oh, wow. I started a petition. I thought I could stop it. I thought, I, you know, people were like slamming their door in my face. Yeah. I learned early on that most people don't care about these things. Yeah. And I'm like the odd person in the world. That's why I think the story of Greta really moved me because yes. I'm like, I was that little girl. Yeah. Although my parents would never let me strike school. So I wasn't. You know. Right. Right. I And I probably would have never thought of that, but it, it was a different time. I mean, the 80s and 90s, like people didn't really think about it too much or they didn't think it was a real issue or a real it felt, problem. It felt far away. Yeah. It felt far away. And now it's not. It's here now. Yeah. Um, we're living in it. So I think I was really young when I became like an activist and I always loved art at the same time, but I, I never really got into art until... High school when I got, well, kicked out of my high school for being too controversial. I was causing bullies to pick on me. So <laughs> too wow, many how times. how fuck up is that? You, the victim, was yeah. expelled. Yeah, because yeah. I was getting into fights with boys and stuff. But they were starting the they fights. They were assholes. They deserved it. Right. And I brought, like, my grandfather was a night watchman. So I had a bully club we put to school. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it out. I would take it out. Like if they would come, I'd be like, "All right, you want to fight?" Yeah, I will Fuck mess you, you up. <laughs> and I got caught doing that. So you had a weapon. Yeah, yeah I had you a weapon. deserved it. <laughs> I kind of deserved it, but it was in self defense, you yes, know. But yes, then, yes. so my dad, he lived in a more affluent area, and so I went to live with him and go to that high school, and that they had art and photography and ceramics and all this stuff that I had never been exposed to. Yeah. And I just went crazy. Yeah. And my art teacher's like, you're really good at this. Like, she's like, you should go to college for this. And I was like, oh, you can do that? Like, I remember telling my parents and they were like, uh, you want to be an artist? Like, my mom was like, cause, you know, she grew up poor. She's like, if you're going to be an artist, you're going to be a starving artist because, you know, artists don't make money and yeah. you have to be rich to be an artist. You can't just be an artist. And yeah. there's some truth to that I find out later. But, you know, there's also a lot of opportunities too. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's you know, I'm you having grown up in the Midwest, working class, middle class background myself. You know, there's that, you know, real strong sense of what's practical. Right. right. So it's like. Do well, you need practical. a real job, right. you know, you need to think about, right. you know, how you're going to pay for your house and your kids and, you know, and when I look back on my life, you know, and look, I mean, I'm a parent, like, you know, it's the hardest job in the fucking world. It's the scariest job in the world anyway, because you're like responsible for this like innocent soul, you know, and you can only fuck it up. I mean, <laughs> the, the, yep. the, 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 the point is just try to minimize, you know, how much you fuck it up. And so, you know, my parents, you know, I remember, you know, in third grade, my art teacher told my parents, like, you know, Scott has talent. You need to get him, find him an art teacher, private art teacher, get, you know, get him some private lessons, so on and so forth. And my parents, you know, in their infinite wisdom and their love, they're like, 
yeah, thank you. But you know, it's probably just a phase, you know, oh my gosh. like it's just a phase. <laughs> it's, it'll, you know, he'll just grow out of it, you know? Yeah. And we were a very musical family. Like they were like steering me into music versus visual art. And, and I studied music, you know, pretty intensely for a lot of years. So, you know, I mean, parents are making it up as they go half the time. So, oh, I know. you know, but that's great that your mom, you know, on one hand was like, look, you know, understand this is not going to be easy. But on the other hand, like, we love you regardless. Yeah, I mean, she just always said, like, well, you might want to think about, you know, a backup career. <laughs> yeah, plan B, plan B. What are you going to fall back on? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, how are you going to make a living? And then yeah. she did, you know, tell me, well, whatever you do, make sure you learn computers, she said. Because <laughs> that's the future. That's so And she was and right about so that, too. And she was 100% right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So those are the two things. Yeah. My dad was like, yeah, he was not into me going to the big city to study art and like Philadelphia is not that big. I wanted to go to New York, but he was like, no, no, you can't go to New York too much. Right. I was like, you got to stay close to home. So I I went to Philadelphia, but I went to a really good art school and I got a really well-rounded education there. And it was, yeah. And I even... Ended up working at the same university after I graduated for like seven or eight years before I went to graduate school. I took, you know, some time off to kind of travel a little bit and just kind of see the world. I hadn't really seen any of the world. <laughs> so I went to Europe and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Life. It's a four letter word. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> family. It's the other F word. You know, <laughs> But yeah, I, so I went back to grad school in my 30s. So I was a little bit So what bit was that? Older. So you got your MFA? Yeah, I got my MFA. It was three years in. That was a really good program. So, what, so, so I've heard that going to graduate school, getting MFA is, as a visual artist, what have you, is, is about, and I guess every program is a little different or whatever, but, it, but I've heard that it's about critique and and being able to self-critique and really go deeper and better understand why you do what you do and the meaning behind it so on and so forth was that your experience is that oh yeah yeah. it helped me tremendously i was very leaning towards political art Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of veiled attempts at political art i was making like i was focusing on abandoned buildings and things like that like but when I went to grad school, I had a couple of professors who were very political artists, one who runs Segura Publishing, and he publishes like William Wegman and, and Enrique Chagoya and all these great political artists. So I learned a lot about political art from my professors, and I really got to hone in on what it is. Like, that was their thing. You got to figure out what you're doing. Like, yes. what are you doing? And So the first year, you're just kind of experimenting, like, what am I doing? And you're just making a bunch of work, and you don't know why. (laughs) And then the 15-hour critique, when they come in, they're like, all your professors come in and evaluate your work, see if you're ready to go to the next level Mm -hmm. to continue on to your thesis. And they they pick you apart, and it's pretty ruthless, and everyone's scared of it. But, you know, you, I don't know, something just clicked in me, they're about, you know, the things that I was doing started becoming more and more political. And that was the direction I wanted to go. And they just kind of pushed me in that direction. 
I think because when I started grad school, 9-11 happened. Yeah. Like the second week I was there or something. And so that really made me go full on into, you know, political work. Yes. But I was doing stuff that was kind of based on art history. And then I was doing more stuff that was based on like propaganda posters of like Vietnam and, and Russia and communist kind of propaganda and World War One propaganda and American propaganda. So I took this, actually this class called The Artist War and Revolution. And it was about how artists reacted to political movements like the French Revolution and, you know, the American Revolution, World War One, World War Two. And so I was basing some of my work on that. And then I had to choose a theme and I kind of went with the propaganda poster kind of thing. And then my one professor was like, you should do street art. And I was like, okay. And I was putting them up on the street. Mm -hmm. And these were like all handmade. Yes. <laughs> million colors. Yes. And then he was like, you should contact Robbie Connell. He's a street artist. He's like the original street artist. And then I learned about Robbie and started emailing him, bugging him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he's like, you should come to LA. And yeah. So that's where... That's why I came here, basically. He told me to. <laughs> it was either like LA or New York. And New York, I've spent a lot of time in New York. Mm -hmm. And it's just mm -hmm. too much for me and too expensive. I thought LA would be easier. At the time, it was. Yeah, right. Like 15 years ago, it yeah, was, yeah, it was affordable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I moved here in 01 and it's gotten so much more challenging over the last 18 years. Yeah, I don't think I could do that again today. Like yeah. what I did back then. It was so much easier and you just could meet people like, oh, hey, Shepard Ferry, how are you doing? So like, <laughs> I, have a, I have a favor to ask. Sure. So as a political artist, does the name Edward Bernays mean anything to you? Yes, it does. Good. Thank God it does. Because I have talked to so many, well, I've talked to so many publicists and people in marketing and branding who've never heard of this guy. Okay, as a political as a as a political artist who looks at propaganda, you absolutely have to know who Edward Bernays is and his impact on you know our reality and where we're at. And would love to see you know a light sh shined on him and his puppet mastery from a you know artistic perspective because he's sort of lost to history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't really speak to his work. I know the name. Okay, but, so let um, me let me share. Maybe if you I refresh, me. I will refresh your memory. Okay, so <laughs> so Edward Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew. Okay, okay, and Edward Bernays, oh the guy who did all the propaganda kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, so he was the head of propaganda. That he was like the head of the Department of Propaganda for the United States right. government. And he helped sell World War One to the American people. And cigarettes too. And and then eventually got into advertising, advertising and, and consumer like products. Yeah. But he was also the guy, and this is, I mean, there's so many, I mean, like an evil genius kind of guy, right? Yeah. And he figured out the psychology of that's right. What, Play to people's fears, yeah. pay to people's desires, you know. But I mean, he was so like sort of strategic and and brilliant in so many ways. Like he was the one, like after World War Two, said. No, 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 we can't call it propaganda anymore. It's got, we got to rebrand. And he came up with the phrase public relations. Like Edward Bernays was the guy that rebranded propaganda into what we now consider public relations. Right. And his story is fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, I think I saw 
a bit of a documentary on him. The I don't know if I self. Him. The yeah. Century of Self. Yeah, yeah, that one. But it's like a multi-part. It, it's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's really all chopped long. up. Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch. You can get it on Amazon, but. But I'm just, you know, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. I'm yeah, just saying, yeah. like, Edward no, Bernays I, is like, yeah. you got to look at him. Yeah, no, yeah. I have seen parts of that documentary, and I've heard of him in terms of advertising. And uh, He's a big part of the reason why our country got addicted to cigarettes, because, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the tobacco he industry is them, one of his biggest clients. Well, his thing was he sold them to women. He got women hooked on it. Well, because he connected it to, to suffrage. The, right. And right. He, he constructed this whole, contrived this whole thing where he had these women light up. Up at this very particular moment at this very particular protest right. as a sign of like like solidarity and freedom and independence yeah, yeah. and that the the market for cigarettes yeah. among females took off yeah know? and that's just one of the many we eat eggs and bacon for breakfast because of edward bernays i'm not surprised i probably drink milk because oh all, all that stuff all we didn't stuff. used to drink milk it was invented during world war one, I think it was because yeah. the mothers went to back to the factories and they couldn't nurse, so they had to do it a replacement right. for mother's milk. Yep, and then they sold it to us as yep. You need to have milk, which you don't really need to have milk. I mean, it's kind of milk grosses me out. I don't know. Just, yeah, yeah <laughs> but I they love, can I love sell you anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink chocolate milk. <laughs> Almond milk, I like. Ooh, almond Coconut milk is great. Milk, yeah, cashew yeah, yeah. milk. I like other yeah. milks. <laughs> yeah, almond milk. Vanilla almond milk over Cheerios is really good. It's crazy. <laughs> Karen, this has been fantastic sitting down. I'm glad the garbage truck uh, went away. Yeah, sorry about all the noise no, and everything. It's, 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 I don't blame you at all. I blame me because I made us sit out here. <laughs> oh, uh, no. It's, in this, it's in this great. What, what really is a beautiful little pool here at Hotel Figueroa. Really nice. Yeah, it's a coffin-shaped pool, which is really interesting. <laughs> it is a coffin-shaped <laughs> pool. <laughs> which is kind of weird, but I like it. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for giving me this great opportunity and this grant and this show and everything. I'm very you're, excited. You're so welcome. You so deserve it. I mean, Not Real Art exists to help artists tell their stories. We want to celebrate and elevate artists and their work. We're not here to criticize. There's enough critics out there. We're not here to critique. There's enough critics out there. We're here to to celebrate and cheerlead and just, you know, because, and as I said, help artists tell their stories and promote their work. There's not a whole lot of things that artists agree on. Artists are not a monolithic community. But the one thing that I've come to believe over the years of dealing and talking to artists and having conversations and having, you know, working with artists and having friends who are artists, the one thing that I hear time and time again is that they really want to need help promoting their work and telling their stories. Yes, we do. Yeah. It's hard to find that support sometimes too. Cause I think some people think like with, in just speaking personally, that if you are, you know, have any kind of recognition out there, that means automatically you're doing well, Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's so not, not necessarily true. true. Like you, you know what I mean? Like yep. just because I had a billboard and it went viral doesn't mean I'm like better off today than I was before or that I made a ton of money as I didn't. It's just, we still need support. We, I yep. think supporting each other is, you know, very important when it comes to like artists helping each other. Cause I don't, not a lot of people will 
help you unless yeah. you either help yourself or you know you look for other people who can support you. Well, and and look for ways to support one another that serve a longer term purpose as well. I mean, for example, you know, one of the things that drives me bananas is you know when artists give their work away for free because ultimately that devalues all art and all artists work. And now I fully understand there are those opportunities that you absolutely want to donate your work and donate your time, but that should be up to the artist's discretion. Right. And it is amazing to me, you know, how some of the biggest companies in the world will approach artists and ask them to oh gosh, do yes. work for free or to do it in trade for shoes or whatever right. the case might be. And many young artists who don't know any better, you know, are happy to work with some sexy big brand, you know, just to say they did it. Right. And I call it exploitation. And if more yeah. artists were saying no, we could start, you know, I think supporting artists in a new way, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with that. There's a lot of exploitation that goes on, especially in Los Angeles. I think with, you know, people are so desperate to get their name out there that yeah, they'll kind of agree to almost anything it's exposure bucks did yeah. you see that meme going around it's like we'll pay you an exposure bucks no i never heard oh, of that. i shall send it to you it's like yes pay your rent with exposure bucks <laughs> buy food with exposure bucks and you know i think the reality is it's 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 um the conventional wisdom right is that you know the fame and the exposure will lead to money and to paying gigs, and yeah. and it's flat wrong. That's it not does true. Not, yeah. It is not true. Nine times out of ten, it leads to nowhere. Right. And you need to say no more than you say yes. Right. You do have to stand up for yourself sometimes, especially, you know, I would never give my work away for free to like a wealthy person. Right. But. To a poor person, I yes, might. Yes. Like, I've made deals with little kids who, yes. like, only had 30 bucks. And, like, <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, that's of course, lovely. You yes, know? yes. Like, I'm going to give you the, but, um, or if it's for an annual animal sanctuary or something. But, yeah. When it comes to the art world, yeah, you got to really protect yourself because there's a lot of people who, We'll take advantage of you. Absolutely. Sure. And, and we have to educate our clients and educate our communities as to the fact that nothing, there's no free lunch. Artists pay for their materials. You know, their time is valuable. And, you know, we're not talking about getting richer. We're talking about a fair living wage. Yeah. Figuring out, you know, what makes sense, you know. And anyway, well, Karen, yeah, well, great sitting down. Well, I'll thank you for having me. Look forward to seeing you and hanging out tomorrow night at Art Share. Yeah, it should be fun. And, you know, I'm very confident Prince on Wood did a great job for you. I'm sure they did. I'm sure. It's just when you work on something small and you blow it up, yes. you're kind of like... And I'm also getting my hair cut tomorrow morning, so I don't even know what I'm going to look like or what my work's going to look like. It's going to be a very exciting day. We'll find out a lot tomorrow. You're just, you're just risking it all tomorrow. I'm risking it Coming all tomorrow. Coming out big. I love it. I love it. Well, Karen, thanks again for taking the time to sit down. Thank you for having me. Again. You're welcome. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at NotRealArtOfficial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out. 